0: i mm-hmm. sick was that custom intro from Uncle Mike Ganser as we kick off the first episode of our five-part series recapping and talking about all the drive-in shows Aqueous played over the summer. So welcome everybody to episode 12 of All In With Aqueous. I am your host, Mike Lawn Memo Minio. This is hands down the best episode I think that we've done. I'm completely excited to bring it to you. Mike Ganser is going to sit down with me for the next five episodes, and we're going to break down each of the drive-in shows one by one in depth, playing clips for you, talking about all the jamming, everything that was going on, and of course, Mike does just an incredible job. So before we get to that, just a few housekeeping items. All In With Aqueous is a proud partner of the Osiris Podcast Network, which you can find at osirispod.com. We also work in conjuncture with Jambase, which you can find at jambase.com. They do a lot to help us over here in the AQUIS community. Love those guys over there. So make sure if you're looking for cool music podcasts, check out Osiris. We got a bunch of them. So I'm not going to talk too much more. If you want to follow us, you can hit us up on Twitter at All In With AQ. You can, afford, of course, follow me at Lawn Memo on Twitter. That's where you can really get up to date with me and what's going on but if you're looking for just aqueous content hit up all in with aq so this is a long episode but it is going to be completely worth it so i want to get right into it so without further ado this is part one of my breakdown with mike answer where he's going to be for all five of the next episodes you're going to love it enjoy so here we go i am Incredibly excited to kick off part one of our five-part series with Uncle Mike. He's here to break down all the drive-ins, give us a little bit of insight of how it all went down. But Mike, first, I want to talk just a little bit about that incredible, cool, sick intro that you sent me. How is the? How does the process for that work? You know, when you lay that down and 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 get that all typed up.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, thank you, first of all. Uh, you know, I, I that's during this whole quarantine thing, Um, you know, working on music that's a bit more production based like that, like kind of like the intro music is actually what I've been spending a lot of my time on. And so, you know, I'll kind of sit down, you know, I mean, most mornings, you know, if I'm feeling inspired enough, I'll usually just sit down and open up a project in this program called Logic that I work in. And I'll just sort of like improvise a drum, a drum beat or a, or a bass line on this little keyboard I have here at home. And then I'll just kind of get to layering and, and just try to be real open and creative and free-flowing with it. And then I'll kind of just get as many ideas out as I can and then kind of go back and, re, and reorganize it and put things together. And, and it's, it's such a different process than, than like writing with a band. But I've, I've found a lot of joy in it recently. And um, to, you know I actually was going to tell you that I'm working on like a solo, my first solo project right now. And I've been doing that for most of this quarantine and and it's I'm going to like, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but a lot of collaborations happening and like a lot of it's based in more of like a funk and hip hop feel, you know, and a lot of the like the rhythm and, and grooves and stuff. And so, um, you know, I'll sit down sometimes for hours and just like go crazy, you know, <laughs> making fun <laughs> shit like that. And it's kind of a, a, a nice like itch to scratch for me because it, it is pretty different from live performance, but I'm really into like production. I'm into the studio. I'm into like mixing and 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 so um yeah, I have a lot of fun doing stuff like that.
0: That's been kind of a growth. I know I've seen you kind of get into the more production side and you've when we've talked, you know, privately how excited you've been to mix some other guys and do stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Honestly a lot of it just started through doing stuff out of necessity for aqueous, you know, just like when we would make stuff like like, our Cycles album was when I first started, like, getting my hands a little dirtier in regards to, like, you know, getting just real involved, especially, you know, Dave and I would, would usually handle a lot of that side about just getting into, like, the mixing side of things, and then as albums progressed, especially by, like, you know, the um, Color Wheel album, um, you know, I was, like, doing a lot of, like, the mixing with the engineer, and then, um, yeah, that's just, it's it's been it's been something i've found you know was kind of an accidental passion that i stumbled upon um and i and i and i really do love it and and yeah like you mentioned i've i've been you know fortunate enough to work with some other artists and and do mixing for them and and actually one other point of good experience for me was for a while again out of necessity like when we first signed on to Um, you know, be on nugs.net for all of our live recordings, and we're doing like 40 shows on a tour, there wasn't enough time for our engineer to like mix them all himself. And so I started like learning to mix then as well. And so um, luckily, a lot of the aqueous stuff has has helped me learn, you know, through experience, you know, how to become more skilled in that realm. And then, you know, when we make records and stuff, I I'll be kind of asking like a ton of questions. And just like, I'm always kind of trying to learn, and like just being a sponge and just calling friends that I know are skilled in that realm. And, asking questions more questions and but yeah man it is something that I've that I really really do dig and and so it's nice to be able to you know delve more into that side now that I've got some time with the whole quarantine thing you know
0: yeah so other than creating this awesome intro for our five-part series and kicking ass at the drive-in for five shows what have you been up to I caught up with Dave and Evan but let's how's how's Uncle Mike doing how you been
1: I've been pretty good man I've been pretty good i've been uh just using this time to kind of hunker down a lot of i mean for me personally you know a lot of self growth and a lot of like reflection and and just learning a bit more about myself i mean you know we've been we've been out on the road for almost a decade and so you know I have not had the time to really like slow down um you know and and maybe work on some things I've wanted to work on and um you know in both a personal and professional sense and so you know I've been doing A lot of cool stuff for myself personally and just like you know even getting back into some old passions like skateboarding and um you know i've been working out and and just like doing all kinds of stuff that's like i i would normally want to do but wouldn't necessarily have the time to with a rigorous tour schedule and then beyond that man just working on on music you know across the board you know still doing stuff with aqueous all the time um you know for a while it was the streams and then we were writing some music and then we had the drive-in shows but also, like I mentioned, I've got this, uh, you know, the solo project that I'm working on, and um, that's pretty involved for me. I've got like a pretty big vision for it, and so I'm working uh, pretty hard on that. And then uh, I'm actually really stoked, um, you know, Stasek from Umphrey's and I are finally getting around to like working on, you know, recording original music for our punk group, The Hazards. Um, and so I actually was working on that today before we hopped on this call, and I'm getting. Pretty stoked on that because um, you know, I mean, it, it's it's interesting for me. I have so many influences, and there's been you know so many chapters of my life have represented different points of you know being into like really into different styles of music. And for me, punk, you know, I, I think it's not a mis- really it's not a, a random thing that like now that I'm skateboarding a bunch again that I'm like writing a bunch of punk music, you know? Yeah, for um, sure. But it's it's really fun to have seen that you know you know the project I had with Stasic originally was like a Green Day tribute thing and then that's kind of morphed into us like working on original music together and that's that's really cool so i've got a bunch of stuff going on man so i've just been been kind of busy with all that
0: i wouldn't have doubted it um (laughs) you you have creativity just spewing out of you so uh that sounds amazing i like the name that the hazard's pretty pretty cool what's it like to work with It's
1: dude it's awesome um it's awesome because he's a really positive guy um and he's like you know, I feel like everything we send each other, we're just kind of hyping each other up, you know, like it's, it's, I, I feel like if there was a word I would use to describe working with Stasic, it's like easy, you know, like, which just yeah. it just works. Like we just kind of find, I think we kind of found a good, uh, you know, a good workflow. And, you know, it's, it's new to like work on original music together, but, you know, starting to do that now, it's been great, you know, just, just nice and simple and and really relaxed, but super fun too. And, um, you know, and of course it's definitely no secret that, you know, all the Umfries guys, like, you know, we always looked up to them. And so, you know, for me it's still always a thing I, I'm aware of of, you know, how grateful I am to be getting to work, you know, with someone that I looked up to for so long and, you know, in such a direct and personal way. Um and it's it's great, man. It's great. And it really is like a lot of fun. And it's fun to kind of be, you know, it's punk music too. And so it's, you know, we try to figure out how to make it like as raw as possible and like it, it's kind of nice to like come at music from such a different perspective you know with Aqueous a lot of it's about like making it nice and perfect and vibey and flowy and with this it's like just make it fucking gnarly <laughs> you know like just make it loud and really fast and like don't it doesn't have to be perfect it just has to be in your face you know and uh, Stacey's a great guy for that I feel like he's one of the few guys I know that really still like lives and breathes the spirit of rock and roll and you know he's he's got his vintage cars and it's, he's always got a mullet or something crazy going and he just, uh, he's, he's a fucking riot to work with, man. So uh, it's been, it's been great.
0: Yeah. With your Mohawk and, you know, <laughs> if he rocks the stash or whatever, I mean, you got, you got a punk band right there. <laughs>
1: yeah. We got the look going. We got the aesthetic at least. Now we just <laughs> got to follow it with some music.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, that's super cool. I'm, I'm really excited to hear that and your, your side project. That sounds awesome. And right up my alley. Uh, anything else that you've been up to? You listening to any type of music or, you know, anything that you found yourself kind of, you know, branching out into
1: uh, yeah, man. I mean, uh, there's been a lot, a lot of music that I've been listening to. And, and you know, as per usual, it's pretty across the board. Um, you know, there's a few artists that I've really gotten into recently. Um, Mac Miller is one of them. Um, I've been doing a lot of like, I don't know, I've been really into like a lot of R&B this summer for some reason. I've been doing like a lot of like Anderson Pack and John Legend and Leon Bridges. Um, I you know, for me personally, um, I've been kind of more entrenched than ever in, in regard to like a lot of the social justice issues that are happening and stuff. And so a lot of my focus this summer, just even from a music listening standpoint, is just being appreciative of how much the African American community has given to all music um, and how so much of the music that we, you know, celebrate and love, especially in the jam scene is derived from primarily black music. And so, um, you know, a lot of my, just the stuff I've been listening to has been, you know, black artists and um, so there's been a lot of that. And, and then again, you know, as I work on, you know, polar opposite, kind of working on like punk music, um, you know, I've been listening to like some of the stuff I did when I was growing up, you know, like Bad Religion and Pennywise and all those fun punk bands. And then uh, there's there's some newer acts to um, like newer punk acts that I've been turned on to. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the one that Stasic sent me. That's fucking awesome. Oh, they're called Turnstile. Um, and it's really like high energy, like crazy, like punk rock stuff but but yeah i'm kind of i'm always all over the map map with that stuff but uh, i'd say that's that's pretty much where i've mostly been at this summer you know
0: pack and leon bridges are two of my favorites i adore leon bridges he's amazing dude it's it's so good so smooth oh so good they actually played him on my work uh radio the other day oh really i like stopped in the middle of the restaurant i'm like (laughs) what is i'm like this is amazing yeah Um, it's great man. good stuff so I guess uh we can we can move we got a lot to talk about. So yes. it's kind of the format that Mike and I are kind of going to go through is we're really going to talk about the music and and the highlights of what I think are five incredible shows that that they played over the five drive-in sets. So Mike's going to be my co-pilot. So we're going to we got a lot to talk to. We're going to play some musical clips. So this is going to be, you know, really cool to hear Mike talk about, you know, how all this went down. So let's kind of start with a little bit of overview of the drive-in and how it took place. You know, were you nervous? You know, you haven't seen the guys in a long time. So that had to be exciting to get to play together, you know, in just, I know you guys are so close, even just to hang out was probably exciting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think especially to hang out in a show-based format, you know, which is what we're mostly used to, was kind of nice to revisit after having been kind of sidelined for a few months at that point. You know, I mean, the circumstances were very interesting. I mean, even rolling up to a drive-in to be playing a show was already kind of a strange phenomenon, and everything about it was unique. But uh, we were surprised to find that it was, you know, kind of like you know they say, you know, it's like it's like riding a bike. You know, like I think as soon as we kind of all got on site, everybody was just kind of you know gelling and vibing right away, and and there was a good energy. And I think you know there's something to be said about when you know what you're so used to you know in regards to like this is our career this is our life this is like what we do for a living and you know when it's taken away from you there's a different type of gratitude that you have just to be doing it at all again you know because you know with all of this this coronavirus stuff you know i mean the music industry has been pretty devastated by it and um, you know there was so much uncertainty about whether we were going to get to play again at all and so at least having this one opportunity you know going into the very first one was exciting you know and there was there was a good vibe right from the get-go and I think everybody was just so happy to like be in the same space you know again you know socially distanced and safe but that we were getting getting to to play music again and and getting to hang out and and so it was a really good feeling
0: was I imagine I mean I'm not a performer but I know you know when I go to shows the feeling of live music is definitely my favorite drug that I've ever taken for sure So I imagine it's even another level for you guys and especially, you know, ripping a solo, seeing everybody go crazy. I'm sure that you seriously miss that feeling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, music has always been a way to, you know, express so much, you know, emotion. And that's like always been such a distinct outlet. That's been my primary outlet. Um, to be able to you know deal with emotions and, and and work through things and let things out and so you know having gone you know at that point a couple months without that release at least in that format it was it was pretty cathartic you know that's the word that I would use because for me it, it's pretty spiritual and I think uh, you know like I said it just was a deeper even a deeper appreciation for getting to do it again and and you know and also like just the friendship that we have in the band and you know, to be honest, I think that's been, you know, I posted about this online the other day, but this is, it actually really has been a bit of a silver lining for us, the quarantine thing to like, have time to like reconnect more as friends a little bit. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. when we've we've been doing this since we were 16, 17. And, you know, the older that you get, we're all about 30, 30, you know, in our early 30s now. And, um, you know, life changes, and your priorities change. And, you know, when we're still doing a 100 and you know some odd shows a year and a typical year it's it's a lot you know and and it's it sometimes doesn't really leave time for you know some of this like just just normal life circumstances to take place and just like regular situations to hang out in and and just be friends and take a little bit of the tension off and I, and i noticed that a lot of just like just having a little bit of space to be able to like even just like it's hard to describe but i feel like we kind of got into a better space with each other having been able to finally take an extended break, you know, Um, we didn't know we needed it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like we were like just full steam ahead all the time. And that's just how you do, you know, that's what you do in this music industry. And there is no time to slow down and you, you don't want to like, you know, slide backwards on any of the work that you've put in. But, uh, you know, to be totally honest, I think that we actually all have benefited from the break. And I think that even having being able to rest and, and just be, you know, thinking seeing it less as you know and not that any of us were intentionally seeing it as a job but you know when you do that many shows a year every year for 10 years you know eventually like that is your job that is our job you know sure and so I think having a little bit of time off and then reapproaching it was like incredible you know like where we we were all rejuvenated and and creative and and happy and just really light and 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 it was it was it was great
0: I think I mean I think that's true with anyone whether it's your spouse or family if you take some time apart and when you yep. you come back to them you appreciate it even more. Absolutely. So, you know, I know how close you guys are but I mean that's you you certainly spend a lot of time you're you're basically roommates. Yes. You know, for most of the year and you know a little time apart I can imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was good.
0: Nice. So was it different like, you know, cuz I was there for I saw 3 out of the 5 shows was it different to play with like how far away the crowd was or did it still feel the same? Or, you know, how was the difference between like a normal club show or, you know, theater show compared to the drive and like playing in front of a little bit more open space?
1: It felt way different, um, <laughs> way different. It, I mean, it was, I mean, it's kind of cool in one way. It's like, you know, after all these years of playing to like have a brand new experience still, you know, like as far as like a performance situation, you know, it's, it was just, it, it was the, fr- I mean, certainly my first time ever playing at a drive-in as a professional musician. And uh, um, it was kind of cool actually, because I feel like the distance was enough to kind of put us at ease a little bit on stage and in, in regards to, you know, cause you, when you're, when you're a musician, you're not sim- especially in a band like ours, you're not simply a musician. Um, you're also an entertainer you know and so there's a lot to be said about stage presence and engaging the audience and all those things which I think about a lot you know I try to make sure that that's like a part of how I perform and I think it's a really important part of how we perform is to make sure you're being engaging but what was kind of nice about this is you know people were far enough away where we could maybe relax a little bit on that side of things and and maybe just kind of zero in a little bit more on like deep listening and focus and like and and have it it kind of almost felt like some kind of weird split between like a show and like a really laid back practice and i mm-hmm. and i actually loved the results that it yielded because we were like kind of inherently more patient and i think that reflected in a lot of the music and the space that took place over the weekend you know um and and that was kind of a nice thing but it was definitely very like a totally different energy than anything i've experienced as far as you know shows it's just unique
0: yeah and you approached it going into the drive-in with something that is i believe the first time that you've done it at a show and it kind of shaped what took place over the five drive-in shows and that is that you went to no set list and why don't you talk a little bit about was that your idea was that someone else's and how do you think that whole no set list thing impacted the shows and is it here to stay or you know how did give me your take on all that.
1: Yeah, so that was that was definitely my thing. Um so you know, I I have written so I have been the band's primary setlist writer for pretty much our entire career as a band. You know, I just always took pride in trying to figure out like the right layout and the right contrast and dynamic for for every show and and I would have, you know, I would for a while and you know, quite enjoy trying to crack that code, but I think there was a couple things that happened with that. I think for me, you know, sometimes, you know, to be totally honest, like with like a lot of my like OCD, you know, people use the word OCD, like to describe people that are like overly organized or something, but it's also like a mental illness. And so for me, that's like a big part of my life. And with set lists, I could get really, really hung up on that and, you know, and on that side of things and, and maybe overdo, overdo it a little bit on, in terms of like trying to get it exactly right and perfect and, and and I and so that was one side of things where I was like kind of ready to just let that go. And and actually on the tour that had gotten canceled that we were on, I had actually um, for the first time ever given the setlist duties to the band, and they were alternating. Like it was you know one night would be a Rob night, the next night would be a Evan night and Dave. And I actually asked to not be in the round of setlist writing for that, just to like finally take a break from that, just to mm-hmm. see what that was like. And I and I actually was enjoying that. But then um, so that was one th- change that happened that kind of led to this choice. But then. Um, A bigger one was that, you know, I've been getting like way back into fish, and I've been getting into like jam bands again a little bit. And I just I kind of in in having some time off to reflect about the band and about improvising and the nature of improvisation, I I just kind of arrived at this idea that like, you know, for for being an improv based band, you know, you there's I think the the whole magic comes from the unknown, you know, And, and when you write set lists, you know, it's like a script. And, and that's cool. Like it's, and, you know, we would always still jam a lot within the script and sometimes go way off script, but it's still like a preset pattern, you know, to follow or, you know, preset organized log to follow that kind of has little to do with the energy of the the moment. And, and I, I kind of felt like that's where I wanted to take us was to like be more free, you know I mean? And, and, and so the, you know, the thing is of course with doing that, that there's a pretty big chance it doesn't go well you know what i mean like it's but you know especially for a band like us that's relied on you know setlist this whole time and if we've literally never done that in you know 15 years of being in a band um and especially by the way when you only have three shows booked (laughs) total you know like you gotta hope it goes good but um honestly i think everybody was ready for the risk and and i think we kind of realized quickly at, at rehearsals that like we have a trust between us as musicians and friends that allows for us to like get away with that kind of thing because we all respect each other and we all listen to each other and and it was just something we just I think we were all ready to try something totally new and it was so unbelievably freeing um, and I think actually yielded some again yielded some great results and just felt like a a very necessary and forward stepping change for us you know. Um, and, and I, and I, and I totally loved it.
0: So just on kind of my geeky nerdy question side. So as you go through it, so with no set list, let's just, you know, go through the show when you transition into another song is anyone can start that or how does that kind of actually work? Or you hear somebody play, you know, a riff or something from one of your songs and then the whole band kind of moves that way. So how does that actually take, take shape?
1: Yeah, it kind of it kind of depends, you know, I mean, there's there's it it can happen almost any of the ways that you just mentioned. But yeah, for sure, anybody can push it anywhere. You know, if Dave starts teasing second sight, like maybe we're just going to drop into second sight or uh, and then in other times, like actually I was listening when I was listening back to the show that we're going to talk about today in the opening song um, below the funk, the Rick James tune. I noticed that I, I didn't even notice at the show, but Evan was playing the bass line to origami for like a minute straight. And I was like, oh, shit, they <laughs> do you know, and and uh-huh. I didn't even I, I mean, I think I, I at the time, I remember thinking like, oh, that's familiar, but I didn't even realize it was our tune. And so like, you know, it can, you know, it can look a lot of different ways sometimes. But yeah, most times, it will just kind of fall in, I mean, at least, you know, when I say most times and over these five shows where we've done this, someone will usually, yeah, just start teasing something and it just feels natural to go there, you know, and then other times, if we come to a full stop, then, you know someone will, you know, we'll just talk on stage and decide what we want to, what we feel like playing next. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. And it's, it's kind of nice to like sense it out instead. You know what I mean? Sure. And I think that's nice for the band members too. Like, you know, you write a set list and, but maybe you get to a point in the set where like, you're not feeling the next thing that's in front of you. And this is like, you can just, this is so nice. Cause you can just do whatever you feel like instead, you know? And yeah. it's, it's a lot of snap decisions too. Like, there's no time to really deliberate, you know, you just choose cause you just, you know, you don't want to take too long in between songs. And say so you just, you just, someone says something, you said, okay, and we play it.
0: <laughs> nice. And I, I would imagine that it makes you listen even more attentively than, you know, you know, cause you just might hear somebody, you know, you got to be on that. Absolutely. So, okay. So, I mean, you kind of started our segue, so let's, uh, let's get into it. We got, we got a lot to talk about in this first show, which is fantastic. Uh, and you do open up, as you said, with the Rick James tune below the funk, which listen, It's actually my favorite cover that you guys do. So I saw this at my first show that I saw you at uh, back in 2012. And I think it's one of the perfect cover choices you can make. It's Rick James. It's an obscure kind of tune that not a lot of people will know. And it mentions Buffalo, which is, you know, us people at Buffalo, we got a lot of self-pride. So anytime you can bring Buffalo and jamming and a little bit of kind of cool, stuff that nobody else knows is going on, I think it's just an amazing cover choice. So how do you, you know, how did you choose below the funk way back when?
1: I mean, honestly, you you kind of just hit the nail on the head um, in that, you know, exa- exactly what you said about, you know, Buffalo being such a prideful city. And, and honestly, for us being proud of being from here and, and like just you know, having such a deep respect for our fans. I mean, back in the day when we chose that, yeah, we. Ch- I mean, Rick James, you know, there, there's there's only a handful of musicians that have come from Buffalo that have really made it, you know, and I think to us, anyone that did that, whether it was Rick James or Every Time I Die or or Mo or Ani DeFranco or the Goo Goo Dolls, like any of these acts, they were really inspiring to us because it proved that you didn't necessarily have to be from LA or Chicago or New York or, you know, Nashville or something to 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 make it. And so for us, it was really just about paying tribute to like an incredible artist that was from our city. And then when you have a song that's about the city you're paying tribute to, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like basically Inception. (laughs) It's like it's as cool as it's, you know, and and, and like you said, we back then, especially um, we were always looking for like maybe more obscure things that weren't going to be so on the nose or so predictable. And we knew that most people didn't know that tune, and thought it would be kind of a cool way to, like, you know, at least like turn our fans on to the existence of that song. And, and you know, we were—I remember being just real stoked when we when we found it ourselves, and we're like, "Oh, we got to do this," you know. Yeah. And so I think you know, considering the drive-in shows, um, we just thought, you know, we we know at this point we don't play it very often anymore. You know, we used to, you know, when you were seeing us, you know, in our earlier days. 20 you know 2011 2012 whenever we started playing that we play it fairly often and then we kind of put it on the shelf for you know a couple of years and it would kind of sprinkle it in every once in a while but um we just thought you know okay we haven't played in a few months you know we're gonna open up a show in our hometown and and it's our hometown fans and we just thought it'd be kind of a fun like little bust out and and it's just a tribute to you know both a black artist and a tribute to our city that we love so much and it and it's funny because we didn't you know we didn't going with no set list. We really hadn't talked a lot about what we were even going to open with. And, you know, right before we went on, that just like seemed like the right thing. And we just went for it.
0: And it was, it was an amazing call. And I mean, let's, let's also throw it out there that this song kicks ass. Like it's an upbeat funk ass kicker and it's a great opener for a show. And you guys crush it. Like it's, it's so tailor made for your sound. So it, it was killer. And you, you, you go into a really solid jam, right? To open with this. And you also do a thing that I've seen you do over the years. You do like a kind of slow opener where you jam just a little bit to warm up as you go in. And then I love, I love that. Like then you drop the hammer and go into it and it just explodes. I love that. Love when you guys do that.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah. That was kind of fun that, you know, and again, going out with no set list and being pretty sure that's what we were going to go into, you know, just kind of like starting off with like a nice slow groove and then you know you'll hear a moment where we're kind of building we're building up the sp- the speed a little bit and then rob hits a snare and and dave's just like one two you know and yeah. it's and it's like that was a, re- a really good feeling moment just kind of kick it into high gear out of nowhere you know
0: i think we all knew we were officially back when dave counts out rick james <laughs> 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 it's pretty awesome so um this for this we do I want to play a clip here and this, specifically this is um I'm going by the 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 uh the nugs timing so if you're on nugs this is what you want to look for so this is the 1255 to 1536 is kind of what I have earmarked and it's real this really hard rock riff and then you guys kind of move in from that into this almost like slayer jam and then it's this gorgeous segue into they're calling for you so thoughts on maybe that section
1: yeah I mean I think what's I, so upon review, you know, upon listening to this again myself, it was really neat to hear because like right out of the gate, everybody's like really locked into listening to one another. Because I start kind of throwing that out and everybody just responds immediately immediately. Cause you know, we are coming out of kind of like a pretty uplifting thing, like a really nice, like kind of like just you know, floaty, pretty, um, more piano based thing. And then I kind of start doing this heavier shit and then Dave immediately like starts changing what he's doing on in on the piano and and, and Rob responds and, 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 and Evan locks in. And, um, it's cool. I mean, I I think that's like, this is like, was our, I mean, again, this being our first time with no set list, like, I think the whole idea is, is you just throw ideas out there as freely as possible and hope that they carry you somewhere. And like, you know, for me to start doing that, I, I can't necessarily explain where it came from, but the, the inspiration struck to just get a little bit heavy out of nowhere, you know, and I was just feeling that because, you know, li- again, listening back, we really weren't doing anything that was like that. I just, uh, mm-hmm. I kind of just fell into that. And it was cool to hear how quickly the band came with me.
0: It's a great, great segue. Um, I did skip over kind of like one thing I did want to talk about that you touched on real quick. And back at about the eight, 18 mark of the song, you are actually, I think Dave teases waves first. He um, does, yeah. It's, which is
1: funny because I thought I did it first, and then when I listened back, I heard him. He was doing the the hits on the piano, the dun dun dun, yep. you know. And and it's funny because that was me. I responded to him then because I heard him doing that, and I I just played the riff immediately, and then Evan, and then we were all there, you know.
0: So one of my favorite fish tunes. So I was super pumped. I was with some of my fish crew, so we were all excited. And and that would be a theme that kind of takes place, and we're certainly going to get into more of that as we talk about the five shows, but. You you have, you've been texting me cause you know, I'm a huge fish fan that you've been listening to pretty much every dinner in a movie theme or dinner in a movie show. So, you know, how, how does rediscovering fish, like, were you just like, I need to, I want to get some of this into Aqueous when I go back, or is it just because you've been listening to so much that it naturally kind of comes into your realm when you're playing?
1: I think it's more the second one, you know, I think like just, you're going to, you know, when you're, when you're listening to anything, you know, more often, I think it's just kind of, kind of work its way through you. You know, and I think we're at a point now, you know, just where I think we're just so focused on being free and having fun, you know, especially with the limited amount of shows that we're able to play that like it's we're kind of in a total anything goes circumstance, you know, because I think in previous years we, we would maybe like overthink that kind of thing or be like, oh, maybe we shouldn't, you know, do this or this. Maybe this is too on the nose or maybe this is too obvious or something. But now we're kind of just like, who gives a shit? Like, let's just have fun and like let things whatever's coming out, just let it come on out. And so, for me, yeah, I mean, I've spent most of the summer like reconnecting with my love for fish, which I've always had. But you know, I, you know, I kind of with with every, you know, all the different music that I'm into, I will kind of go in different. Um, sometimes I'll be really into something, and then I'll, I'll kind of leave it behind for a little while, and then revisit it. But this whole summer, you know, again with having some time off, and then with fish doing like you mentioned, the dinner and the movie every every Tuesday, I've been tuning in and watching those, and and I've just been getting really back into fish. And, and so, yeah, I think that just, it wasn't really intentional that all this stuff is coming out. I just, I've been listening to him so much that it's coming out on its own, whether I like it or not.
0: <laughs> yeah. And especially when Dave gets to it first. So yeah, I know, I know <laughs> we're not going to play that clip, but make sure you go out and listen to that on your own. It's almost like a minute jam on kind of waves. Cause Dave does throw it out and then you jump on it and you know, you guys adapted very quickly to it. Um, so, all right, so we're going to play the kind of end of, blow the funk. So we're going to play that here. And then we're going to come back and talk about their calling for you. Love that little Slayer jam. Pretty awesome. I like a little aqueous heavy every once in a while. And we go into They're Calling For You, which is, like I said, a great segue. Um, nice version of this. I love the little closer to the heart tease that you throw in there. Gotta love Rush. They're just north of us. So we got this regional loving of the bands here.
1: Yeah, so that was actually, on, on upon re-listening, that was actually Dave. Um, oh, that was Dave. Okay. Yeah, that was Dave. That was Dave. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it's funny cause you know, when we, I, th- I think I've probably even told you this story before, but I'll just revisit it for two seconds is that when we were in, in you know, coming out of middle school into high school, me and Dave were like in competing bands and mine was like a rush tribute band and his was like a fucking, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan tribute band. And so I, I was like really, really into rush, but I think like over the years, like all of us have like been pretty into Rush too off and on. And so, you know, there's like just a lot of different sections of our music that like Rush teases will fit in pretty easily. And that's like one of Dave's favorite. I always hear him doing closer to the heart.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he does that quite a bit. I've definitely heard that. So this is kind of a pretty standard clip, but I do love kind of uh, toward the end of this one as well. It's about the eight minute to 10 minute mark. There's just a really sick groove here. And I felt like this was the first like real locked in moment. And Really, Evan, I thought was excellent in this section.
1: Yeah, same. And 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 on re-listening, like I feel like this is like one of Evan's greatest strengths is just to find these bass lines that are exactly right. You know, like, cause I was listening back and I, I kind of started the groove, like the, the little funky slinky guitar part. And then like, you know, there's a spot where I think it just drops to maybe me or maybe me and Rob and Evan's kind of laying out for a second. And then he just comes in with that. And it's like, it just makes the whole thing. Like, cause what I was playing was really, really simple. And like, he just plays this fucking line that I, I just never would, he's always like, I feel like coming from a such a different angle. And it's so creative and so groove based, and so musical, you know, and and he really is one of my favorite bass players. And I feel like this, this like little section that you pointed out is is exactly why Um, it's just it's funky, and it's full, and it's deep. And it just it just feels really good. And him and him and I get really locked in because Dave's kind of doing like some like, soloing and just kind of moving around a little bit over the groove but me and Evan and Rob are like locked into this just nice fat like funk groove and one thing that kind of stuck out to me was actually how patient Rob was too he kind of just like stays on the groove and he's not even doing like a lot of drum fills or anything he's just kind of sitting in this big fat drum beat and everything feels real good there
0: so we're gonna play that clip um this is about eight minutes to ten minutes of uh the, they're calling for you When Evan comes up with like a huge groove like this. I don't know if it, it kind of sh- it shouldn't shock me but just knowing Evan is a person like this cool, laid back, like one of my favorite people to talk to. He's just like this silent badass monster and it always like when he throws this down like it just always like punches me in the face. I'm like, "Man, he is a badass bassist because it's like I know him as like one of the friendly guys in my life, so it's just kind of this funny contrast. That I don't know. Just no, like,
1: I, I agree. I feel like he's very like unassuming in real life, you know. But then, like, he's just a monster, you know. Yeah. And and he he really does have like such great ideas. And, and I feel like that's he's always like every time he's always surprising me too. Where I'm like, geez, like that was so sick, you know. And it's always like, yeah, I completely agree with what you said. And I think anyone that's met him, like, he truly is like one of the nicest, like, most approachable guys. And then like you'll, it's it's almost like, and I, and I think this is kind of true for all of us a little bit. It's like we have are like, you know, offstage, real life personas. But then when we get up there, I feel like something kind of happens to each of us. And we become something slightly different, you know, and especially when we're all working together like that. And and Evan's role in, in that is just like unbelievable. You know, he just has so much to contribute. And some of this shit he comes up with always is, like, blows my mind all the time. It's awesome.
0: I like the word unassuming. Very good there. That's a great word to describe him. So then we go into the third track of the first set, which is Numbers and Facts, which has long been one of my favorite songs since you've wrote it. And this is another take on how you've been playing that, which you guys have been doing a lot of. You've been kind of restructuring the way you play songs. And this is just a super slow and groovy version, and I love it. Um, So talk about, like, reimagining some of the songs that you've been playing forever and, you know, just changing them up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for us, you know, we just we sometimes just like want to have a new take like we just you know I think it's natural for us to kind of want to get creative and and never like settle too much into doing things exactly the same way because I think that gets kind of boring and pre- predictable for us as well. And so with certain tunes, you know, we'll kind of just re- rework them for fun. Sometimes it just happens naturally. Like a lot of times what it was born out of is like just at a practice or or a sound check or something. Um, you know, when Rob came into the band, a lot of times he would just like play something different for fun. And we'd all be like, oh, like that was actually really cool. Let's just do that, you know. And a lot of times it's as simple as that. Like it's not some like big thought out thing like okay like you know like, like thinking about us like coming to practice be like oh we got to work on this and like redo it and it's really almost never that but um, most of the times yeah it's just Rob throwing out a new idea and all of us just being like oh you should actually do that <laughs> and then we do um, but this, this this was an interesting version because it's actually much closer to the original um, version of the song than what we've been doing the past year which was you know you've got like the normal drum beat in the, in the way that Rob played it here is like a like a halftime groove And for the past year previous, we were doing more of like a double time that it's funny because people would describe it as faster, like when I'd see people post about it online and stuff, which is it's funny because it's it's actually the same tempo. But the drums, you know, like they basically like where the where the snare and, and, and kick drum are were placed in a different spot that kind of would make it feel faster. Um, even though it was the same tempo, but we, we, so for this version, we went back to the original, like kind of halftime thing and actually kind of went so far with that, that we made it like extra laid back. Cause it, it always kind of had that like slinky kind of not, you know, head nod kind of vibe about it. Just like nice groove kind of thing. But this, like, we kind of like took, pulled pulled back on some of the rock aspect of it and went more for like a, like a funk and, uh, it felt really good. Um, and like on, on listening back, it was nice. It was kind of like, like sly. It had kind of like. Yes like a sly slick slick vibe about it and so so yeah but but for the most part you know especially with song i mean that song's not that old but for certain tunes like you know like with marty for a while we were doing like a ska version of it and you know like a bunch of bunch of the older tunes we'll just rework for fun you know and then sometimes we'll go back to the original and and that's just kind of fun for us and and we also like to keep fans on their toes a little bit too you know just make sure that uh we're never being too predictable you know
0: and i think that you know, we, as we talked about a little bit before and, you know, certainly my vibe from the crowd, it was definitely like laid back. I had my own space by my car and my pop-up tent, my beers, and like the slower kind of slanky, like you said, is like, this hits perfect. So sometimes, you know, the circumstances and the show vibe is, you know, will help things like that.
1: Oh yeah. And I think that was like, even more so the case with the circumstance, especially without set lists, because I think we were like really just responding to the moment. I mean, even, you know, again, the numbers and facts wasn't even being necessarily be, uh, planned to be played. It was just, you know, that's just where we landed in, in one of the jams. And I, and exactly what you described, like that was the vibe of that day. I mean, it's two o'clock, you know, 2.15 in the afternoon and, and it's, you know, 85 degrees out and people are chilling and some people are raging and, but it's, it's pretty laid back. And and I think you can kind of hear that reflected in some of these versions. And I actually really like that. It's, it's nice. Because, you know, I mean, you know, I, I I think for Aqueous, a lot of times people think of us as like more of like a real high energy, like raging thing. But I think we we can also be a really dynamic band. And, and, I, and I like circumstances like this that allow us to maybe show a little bit more of that side of us where it can be a little funkier, a little bit more laid back as opposed to like just ripping and in your face all the time, you know?
0: And I think that's been a growth for you over the years. As, yeah, for you sure. Know, I've seen you and, you know, I told you, I think I told you that years ago that as you would get older, you would play less notes.
1: You were quite <laughs> right about that.
0: <laughs> it's my old age. I've learned just a couple of things in all these years on the planet, but um, <laughs> I I love when you guys kind of lay back a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong when you slay it and we'll talk about some of those moments. Um, But yeah, I, I'm into that and it was great for the time. And, you know, we were reconnecting with all our friends for the first time in months and, just to have the like chillness, the vibe with your friends. It was awesome. So I I really dug that. So after we get into uh, numbers and facts, we go to a little something uh, to me, which is just a kind of standard take through there. Um, Anything you want to just jump in on that or?
1: No, I I think uh, that one just felt again for the kind of mid afternoon bouncy vibes. That one just kind of felt right to stay kind of in a groovy pocket and um, you know of the newer songs from the EP where we were kind of you know experimenting more with just like songwriting and song crafting um, that one always feels really good to play live and there's been a couple renditions where I've taken it real far out this one was more of just like you know I mean especially opening this the show with like basically 40 minutes of jamming you know like between the first three songs kind of just seg sure. like moving in and out of each other it felt good to just kind of play a tune you know um and that one really is super fun to play, um, and it's like just it just always feels good. It's fun to sing, like fun to fun to kind of just lay into a, a a bit simpler of a thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, that one that one's always kind of nice for us.
0: And then from there we get to the improv standout of the first set, in my opinion, which is Strange Times. And Strange Times has long been a huge jam vehicle for you guys, and this one is certainly no exception. It yields, you know, it's it's just kind of chilling, and then just a monster groove uh, and and great, great jam about like the 14 minute mark of this. I love that it's patient. And then kind of when we do jump in at like 14 minutes, I think you really star here and you use some kind of really cool effect. I don't know if hopefully you know what I'm talking about. Um, So if you want to just talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, um, so yeah, I I did. I went and listened back to that specific moment and and there's a couple things happening pedal wise there, (laughs) effects, effects pedal wise. Um, one of my favorite pedals that I use, and you'll hear this all over our music, is uh, a pedal called the Digitech Whammy, which was mostly made famous by Tom Morello of uh, Rage Against the Machine. You know, you thinking of, think of like the killing in the name of solo, the like that kind of sound. That's like just one of the things that that pedal can do. It basically takes your note um, on the guitar and can either bring it up an octave or below an octave. And Trey uses it a lot when he's doing like a, you'll hear him do this real low sounding crazy shit. Um and he so he's you know everyone uses it pretty differently. Even David Gilmore of Pink Floyd used one in his some of his solo stuff and some of the later Pink Floyd stuff, but always been one of my f- favorite pedals. And um I like to use it for more like psychedelic stuff. Um and uh, so in this section I've got it set to be an octave higher than my guitar actually is. And so I've got that going on and I combined it with this other pedal called a a Julia, which is a, a chorus pedal from this company called Walrus Audio. And it's kind of like a, a real like trippy, like warbly effect going on. And um, and so it's just kind of helped me create some nice like space and texture, which is kind of how I'm always like seeing it in my in my head, I guess. Like I kind of think about like Evan and Rob as like our canvas, you know, especially when they're like sure. locked into a real nice groove. And and Dave will be a, a big part of that when he's like doing keys stuff, especially because it's – and he, I feel like he's been getting into really beautiful textures. And I noticed that that was – very much the case with this particular jam um, that kind of allowed me to really just like jump out on the guitar. You know, I, what I played here was less rhythm based. You know, it's less like kind of funky, fast jarring stuff with my right hand and and more like free flowing kind of single note stuff and, and and psychedelic kind of layering. Um, so that's kind of what I had going on for the guitar player nerds out there that are, are wondering.
0: <laughs> I've been noticing you doing more of that and especially throughout these shows.
1: Yeah. And I think, again, you know, not to go too crazy on it, but, but you know, me listening to more Trey, you know, I mean, that's a lot of his approach is is some of that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, that was a big part, you know, when I was learning guitar and, and being influenced, you know, as a teenager, that was a big foundation of, of what I was learning at the time was that approach. And it's been kind of nice to revisit it. I mean, it's always been a part of my playing, but I've been kind of putting more of a spotlight on it recently. And, um, you know, I think with Dave, you know, in certain moments playing more keys, it's easier to take that approach, you know, because with you build, it's it's kind of a different thing to build a wall of sound with two guitars compared to guitar and keys. Mm-hmm. And I, and I notice I play quite differently depending on the circumstance that Dave's got going on over there. And so in this, in this instance, you know, he had layered, he had some real nice key stuff going on. And, and we found just a real nice, you know, I I feel like Evan often is responsible for a lot of our chord progressions that happen when we're jamming. He'll just start throwing out these, 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 these progressions and these changes. And, you know, everyone's real good about latching on to them pretty quick, but it's cool because they really are fully improvised. Like we'd have no, no one's, we're just listening to each other. And I feel like I just heard what they created, you know, I mean, we created it together, but I feel like they were leading that a little bit more than me. And I just really like was super inspired by it and kind of like took my shot. If that makes sense, you know what I mean? I I think I've been kind of, you know, where gets where lead is concerned, kind of finding my spaces and like waiting for the right moment to really go off. And I think like this was the moment that I took in this set, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think that kind of what we were talking about, this is kind of what I love the best of both worlds of Aqueous. Great laid back grooving can really hear everybody playing each instrument. And then when the time is right, like you said, you still kick major fucking ass and rip a solo and and you really do here. And so like it, this is like a great, you know, example of, of what you guys can do, you know, your growth, you still will always be able to, you know, rip a solo and rip a, you know, a face melter, but you got the groove before it. So when it does hit, it hits harder because you've got that chill vibe going Then You're like, Oh man, this is cranking. Like, I love that feeling.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I experienced that feeling myself too, you know, where it's like, you know, I'll be really into the groove side of things. And then like when it's time, like I'll respond more to it as well, you know, as opposed to just like shredding the whole time. I think eventually you burn yourself out on that too. And I think, you know, it's, I think it just everything, I mean, and this is, you mentioned this too, but like in life, you know, just everything is really about balance, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's so much that way with improvisational music and, um, you know, Having the freedom and the time and the circumstance to like just like let things happen naturally and not feel like you have to like push energy or like push it over the top just because, or like, you know, I mean, I, I kind of think I'm in my mind, I'm thinking about like even like a festival set. If you have like a limited amount of time, you kind of sometimes have to do that, you know, sure. like be like, oh, well, we've only got 45 minutes, so we better just like slam on the gas pedal. Whereas like here, you know, if we've got three and a half hours to cover, we can just, you know, sometimes we can chill out, sometimes we can rip and. I love the freedom of that. And I, and I feel like the, the word freedom is sort of like the encompassing feeling that I had around these shows. Like we, we, I feel like for our own perceptions of what this band is, I feel like kind of let go of a lot and just let ourselves like really experience things freely. And, and this was definitely one of those moments for me.
0: So let's play that. Um, this is some great stuff. This is about 14 minutes to 17 and a half minutes of strange times. come back and we round out the first set with burn it down and then you finish up on below the funk. So obviously that's not a, you didn't plan that out as far as a set list, which you guys had done stuff like that in the past when you did write out set lists. So did you all notice that you didn't have the ending to blow the funk and you were just all kind of keeping that in the back of your head to end the first set? Or how did that kind of go for you?
1: No, I no, I think what it really was is that, uh, you know, so actually, one thing I noticed, by the way, when I was listening back is, uh, you know, there's a jam kind of like an outro of strange times that's leading us in to burn it down. Okay. And it's a pretty cool like segue jam because like we're like kind of taking our time to get there. But I noticed that uh, Evan is basically like we started playing another brick in the wall part two by Pink Floyd. Like Evan's doing the boom, boom, boom. Oh. And and I didn't even notice. And, it, you know, I mean, I noticed at the show, but I kind of forgot. And especially when you don't have set lists, like the stuff like that goes right out the window. And I haven't really re-listened to the sets, you know, since we played them. And so I I noticed that. And it was really cool. Like the whole band was doing it. Like every, like I was like doing some of the Gilmore riffs and Dave was, te- you know, everyone was teasing it. But uh, so that was pretty cool. But with, with Burn It Down, the jam that kind of started happening out of there, I, I kind of, I had not thought about, again, with no, like you mentioned, with no set list, I didn't have any real plan but of course still in my conscious mind I'm looking for cool opportunities you know for to make the set list cool you know like interesting still and make sense and 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 we I noticed that we were you know the key of burn it down is uh like d minor or f F major and um d minor is a really easy key to get back to the same key of um below the funk and so when we started grooving in D minor, I thought like, oh shit, like that would be kind of cool. Like it just kind of occurred to me while we were jamming, like that would be a fun way to bookend the set because we started off with it and never finished it. So I thought it'd be really fun to come back to it. So I, I kind of like led the, the band over, you know, some key changes to get back to the, um, the key, you know, the same uh, key that the the um, Rick James tune is in. And then it's, the, it's actually Burn It Down and the Rick James tune are the same tempo. So we were already there pretty much. We nice. didn't have to like do a whole lot of shifting in terms of speeding up or slowing down. And it just like, I kind of started teasing the riff again. And I think everybody, you know, I didn't say anything to the band. Everybody just knew that that's like what we were going to do, you know? And it felt, it felt really, like right to arrive there, you know?
0: Yeah. And it's a great way to close out the first set and it's a, a excellent first set. Thanks. Uh, so we'll move on because set two is a monster and really, really great. So set two is four songs which is very much up my alley. And you start out with a real oldie and one of my favorites. I I'm, I say that a lot about your song. So you might probably say that 50 times as we go through the five shows, but you write good songs. What can I say? So mind games an oldie and this mind games is really cool and a great way. Like I like when you start off with some obscure stuff and you know, I, I can only say I've probably seen mind games a, a handful of times in all the shows I've seen you play but this one has a really nice double guitar jam here. So this is kind of a, a point that you've already touched on a little bit, but I, I find interesting when I listen to you guys and knowing you over the years. And there was a point in my life where I was really into Dave playing on keys and you playing on guitars. Cause I thought that yielded some results, but I've kind of shifted to some I've really over the last year or two love some of the jams where both of you are on guitar. And I think that, this is a great one. And so kind of talk about you You did touch on it, but what's the dynamic like when both of you are playing guitar?
1: I think for us, that's an old comfort zone. You know what I mean? I, I, that's like where this all started. And that's like, I feel like a lot of why this started is just me and Dave playing guitar together. Like that's, you know, that's like what a lot of this band was built off of. And I think when we are in those spaces, I think there's just not a lot of conscious effort that has to be put into how to interact you know we are just like there's just so much intuition built into so many years of sharing that role together you know i mean we literally learned the instrument simultaneously and so we were kind of learning within the context of one another and i think at the end of the day you know that will always be the easiest jump off point for playing music together i think between dave and i is is the guitar two guitars and our voices you know um and so i think when it comes to you know Improvisation and stuff—it's pretty easy for us to navigate the landscape like really efficiently as guitar players. Because if I start doing a lead line, he's going to immediately jump to some chords. Or if he starts doing a you know a lead line, maybe I'll jump on a harmony. Or like you know, like there's just there's a familiarity there that makes it very natural for us to navigate together. And um, and I think you know a lot of times the jams that are led by by the two guitar thing tend to have more of an old school feel to them you know, especially for us, because a lot of Dave's keys sounds are inherently more modern, you know, I mean, you got a lot of like synths and like, you know, pads and all this stuff that kind of sounds more like 21st century shit and like arpeggiators and, you know, and all that stuff's really cool. But then, you know, I think we kind of get more into our like almost like psychedelic rock, you know, kind of dual guitar roots whenever Dave's on the guitar. So um, so yeah, and, in this particular jam, it was cool. Cause again, you know, Evan throwing out a really nice, pretty chord change, you know, on his, just on the bass and everybody picks up on it. And I kind of start doing, doing lead stuff, you know, over that. And it's got, it, it's just nice and pretty. I, I, don't, I, I liked the the middle of this, this, cause it was, it, I, I had kind of forgot that we had done something like this, you know, again, when you're improvising these moments, you know, they feel great and you're, you know, intuiting everything, but I don't necessarily always remember a lot of what we do in a more visceral way. And so to revisit it was cool. I was like, oh, wow, like this is not what I thought it was going to be. It was kind of like different than what we would normally do. there.
0: Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed this section and I've already gotten this wrong once. So I'm going to see if maybe you can help me out with this. When you're both on guitar, it's very hard for me to figure out who is playing lead and who's playing rhythm. I feel like I know most of what your tone sounds like, but is there an easy way for us listening at home to kind of know who's playing what? Yes.
1: Um, so so the, probably the easiest way to do that is on 90% of our recordings. Um, we've got it mixed to reflect what it would be like if you were standing in front of the stage, meaning, you know, like if you're out in the audience, um, if you're looking at the stage, of course I'm on stage, right, which would be the audience members left. Okay. You know, um, like, you know, just imagining looking at our stage sure, plot, sure. like if you're looking to your left, you're seeing me. So mm-hmm. then if you're looking at your speakers at home, or you're, you know, listening on your headphones at home, it's the same. So if you look to your left speaker, that's me. And then if you look to your right speaker, that's Dave. And so we, we've got it kind of they, in, in, in music production, they call that term panning, um, where, you know, if you pan to the left, you put you know one of the instruments more predominantly in the left speaker or if you pan to the right more predominantly in the right speaker and so we always almost always have Dave in the in the far right and me in the far left um so that's like kind of an easy cheat as long as you've got your headphones in correctly and you know you're you know you you you, you can kind of just hear it based on that and then you know yeah like we we both kind of have different like little flavors and tones and Dave's tone tends to be like he's got humbuckers in his guitar and I use mostly the Stratocaster. And so you can kind of hear my thing is a little more bitey and, and maybe chimey and his is maybe a little bit rounder. But yeah, for sure. I mean, it's funny too, because a lot of like we, we you know, I think have a lot of the same intuition and I could imagine there's probably times for a lot of listeners where they're not exactly sure who's doing what. And so that's probably my best recommendation to, to get a sense of, of who's you know, who's doing what.
0: I think that may be the best question I've ever asked you because I am super excited to notice that now. That might now, change the way I listen to you.
1: I have to just note one very recent exception and it actually freaked me out. We like we made this choice on the fly with our engineer Kelly. Um, but when we did some of the streaming in the in the um in Nogle's basement from you know, from the uh, live from out there sessions. Yep. Um I was on the opposite side of the room. So <laughs> we mixed that. To reflect that, you know, because when you're watching video, if you see me on the right side of your screen, but I'm coming out of the left speaker, it's Mm -hmm. sort of disorienting, you know, so we try to always reflect that. But that was that setup was out of necessity based on how that that space was already constructed. And so that I don't want that's the one exception I would like. That's the asterisk on the statement I just made. But 95% of everything else, even on our studio albums, is just Mike left, Dave right. That's
0: awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that I asked that question. (laughs) It has been troublesome for me for years, so that's great. Uh, So this is going to be about six minutes uh, to nine minutes of Mind Game's really good stuff. Okay, so s- song number two, and this song was debuted on my birthday, so I'll always be very excited uh, to hear it, and that's Say It Again. Great, great song. Another kind of change of pace on this. This is like slowed down, almost like full metal style.
1: Yeah, well, you know I kind of wanted, I'm glad that we are touching on this one because we, we had talked earlier about taking songs and like reworking them and how conscious that is, and you know, I was kind of saying before that Um, you know, we don't really put a lot of consciousness into reworking some of those older tunes, but this one is kind of the exception to the rule where I kind of stopped us playing it for a little while because I I liked, I liked it. I liked the bones of it, but something for me wasn't exactly right about it. And so I kind of shelved it for a little bit of time and worked on it at home on my own. And this version of it that you heard here, and, and I think we kind of debuted this version of it earlier this year, but... This, this was an, an actual like rework where I like went through and kind of like, you know, just started from the, the scratch and, and took like the the meat of the song and then just totally reworked it. So, so like I, it, I wanted to mention that this is like one that actually I did spend a lot of time and effort reconstructing because it it wasn't hitting the, uh, on the emotion that I, I had intended for the song and, and this version of it, I, I we all feel a lot better about, um. And it it grooves in a different way. It's a little fatter, and and then the choruses are a lot bigger, and that and that feels really good. It's like you know, there's a big guitar riff happening now. It's like a lot of two guitar stuff um, instead of just all. And so it's it's, so it's it's a little bit different of a vibe. But uh, I've actually been loving playing it, and it's been yielding nice jams too.
0: Yes, and I love the meat of the set comes between this and complex two, and I I kind of really love this set. We were talking a little bit before the interview that I feel like this is a great aqueous show and especially set. And I think that say it again and complex too, they're kind of a little bit different than maybe the average aqueous song, like the origamis and the the older stuff. Like, I think this is like a good branching out like two songs together and a good juxtaposition between the two songs. And so I, I love the the two jams in both of these together as like where they fit into the set.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's worth mentioning that like they do share some DNA um, as far as like just some of the emotion behind it. I mean, I think a lot of our stuff, you know, rain. It you know, we've been a band so long that content-wise, a lot of it ranges across a lot of years and a lot of emotions and a lot of life experience. And um, both complex 2 and say it again are kind of like a little bit darker, you know, than mm-hmm. something like you said, like an origami or they're or they're calling for you, like something that's maybe a little bit lighter in maybe the message or even just the music itself. Um, But, you know, both complex two and say it again kind of deal with maybe a little bit more intense thematic content and the music kind of reflects that. And uh, yeah, I I think uh, it's, it's, it was cool that we found ourselves in complex two from say it again, because we just, you know, that was again, you know, again, having no set list, you know, you just arrived somewhere, but that happened really naturally. And that made a lot of sense to me um, that we did because they are kind of related a little bit.
0: So the Say It Again Jam has another fish little tease at five fifteen, which is Kareni. Yes. And I did get I did catch that. And then there's all kinds of hip hop stuff going off after Yeah,
1: that. I was listening I, I heard uh Eight Mile, I heard Eminem's uh Eight Mile thing and then I heard uh there's a classic like um Snoop Dogg album um Doggy style, you know, I mean, it's just quintessential 90s record sure. and uh, G's and Hustlers like it's got this sick bass line on it. And I I forget the original song it's sampled from. It's a, set, a 70s funk song, but it's. I think the song is called like Hobble Gobble Trippin' or it's got some fucking crazy name. Huh. And it's it's awesome. It's just that boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, we start, we get into that and, you know, we're messing around with that. And then from there, we kind of just like start improvising like around a hip hop feel. And uh I, I love when we do that. like for me, that's really fun because that's like a lot of my favorite music and and a lot of what I listen to and'm and am inspired by. And so it was fun to kind of like have that kind of like some of the teases be more of a springboard for like actually improvising in that genre a little bit.
0: It does yield amazing results. like it's kind of like fun, a little fish, a little hip hop, but then you do lock in and I, I think this might be the the section where you lock in the most in the entire show.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna mention too that I, I think for us that side of thing we don't see at least in the in the jam scene, there's not a ton of that. And so I think like we kinda take pride in like in, in you know, like touching on that from time to time because all of us really are into a lot of that music. And so it's 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 really cool sometimes to like get into that feel and that groove and, and pay tribute to that music. Um, where I don't, you know, I don't see that reflected in this particular scene a, a ton, you know, with some some exceptions.
0: Sure so let's play we're gonna play about a six minute clip here and it's really lock in gorgeous stuff and then another huge throwdown so again the full gamut of aqueous right here awesome section we go to song number three which is we just touched on complex two so my first question and I actually don't know this is when I I believe complex you wrote correct
1: yeah I wrote complex one and two
0: okay when you wrote one did you write two with it or was that after the fact
1: no um two came later um and and maybe I, I would say maybe within a year the complex two came but it was still you know when complex one was written there was really no complex two is sort of the completion of the emotional concept of complex one. And it was sort of like the resolve that actually occurred in my actual life that, and I wanted to reflect that in in completing the story, you know? Um, And both songs are pretty, pretty personal for me, you know, in terms of my own experience with my life and my health. And, um, and so, yeah, they, they complex one was written first. And then as my own life progressed, that complex two just came screaming out of me because it was like, you know, I just felt like I needed, there was more story to tell there a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, those two are very, very much related. Um, and and you can even hear musically, you know, there are all, like just some similar like feelings going on, you know, different no- note choices and things, but I feel like you can feel a similar kind of tension and release happening in both
0: of them. I love both. Um, as I will say often, complex one was, when I started getting into you was a big, like huge moment. I thought for you guys, I've, I've always loved that song. And I, I love where complex two's jams go though. There's been some real diverse jams that have come out of this song.
1: Yeah, that's, that's true. And I feel like for us, you know, in certain tunes of ours that we'll play, you know, maybe a little bit more often, there's like a lot of places that we tend to default to. And I think complex two has never been one of them in the sense that like, we always get to a certain section, and it could be like anything. And sometimes it gets like way out there. Sometimes it's like real trancy and heavy and dark, and then other times it's like really uplifting and pretty. And it, it's it's it can be so many different things, and has been so many different things. And and this particular one, I, rem- I I remember. It's funny that you picked this out because I remember you know usually like at least once or twice a show, I'll kind I'll kind of think about. A specific moment in my life, or something I might be dealing with personally, and try to like get it out of me. Do you know what I mean? Or try to like, it's almost like exercising a demon for me. Like, that's like the closest I can get to like real catharsis. Like, is to like, you know, it's a, it, I've always, you know, since I was a kid, I've had this, the guitar has been like the outlet. Like, when sometimes I can't necessarily speak what I'm feeling, like, I can, I can kind of deal with my emotions that way. And I, I remember in this particular, moment i like chose i was like thinking about something that had been kind of a struggle for me in my personal life and i kind of like let it out in the guitar solo that happens in the jam of this particular version of complex two and and it tends to i think it happens more often like that a moment like that will happen in a song like complex two where already i'm kind of reflecting on an experience that i have had in my life like because that's what that song was written about Mm -hmm. and and to kind of like, I, so I guess I'm already kind of in a space of reflection, and maybe introspection when we play a song like that. And I try to always like really mean it when I sing it, if that makes sense. And I tr- so I'll kind of like revisit that place a little bit every time we play a song like that. And then, you know, when we got to the improv section, I was kind of already like feeling maybe a little bit more emotional. And then just had a moment where I was like, I got to just like get this thing out of me. that has been bugging me. And uh, I can like hear that on the recording. And it's pretty, it's cool to hear.
0: I... I love to hear that from you because, you know, one of the reasons you're, you know, if not my favorite guitarist, but one of them is that I, I can feel that emotion in the crowd when you play that. So it's very interesting to hear you say that because I've always thought that you're incredible ex- expressing yourself. And again, you know, we'll go back to Trey, a big reason he's a big favorite of mine. And when he's playing great, it's I can he's telling a story to me. And I think that you do an incredible job in a lot of this and and, and the section we're gonna play is another example so it's really funny to hear you say that that you actually channel that because i don't know i thought maybe that was just coming through you but to actually pick an emotion i think that's incredible stuff because i can feel that as a listener
1: yeah and, and uh to be honest that's like the greatest con- i mean like that's i'd love to hear that because i think you know at the end of the day the whole point of this exchange between a listener and and, and a musicianer and a band is to find common ground and to and to share emotions and to like You know to be human together and I think like I love to hear that those moments can kind of come through sometimes and you know that that was something that that idea even that like consciousness of trying to like be that specific with a moment like that that was something I picked up from Derek Trucks actually I just there's I remember reading like an interview it was like something like the Ten Commandments of Jam with Derek Trucks something like that I can't remember exactly what but he to me is like one of the most spiritual guitarist and I think he kind of transcends what a guitar player is and gets into some like really deep territory you know um, but that was one of the things he talked about was like channeling a specific emotion channeling a specific moment in your life and and I thought that was really beautiful and I and I I've always kind of taken that to heart and when I'm able to get there naturally you know you know you can't force something like that but sure. when it comes up organically like that I, I'll I'll really kind of meditate on a moment like that and, and just try to channel it. And I always thought that was a really beautiful piece of advice. you know.
0: And it's, you know, I think that's why we, you know, us jam band fans, we all love that is that connection. You know, if you do make that with the crowd and when you're playing it and I feel the emotion that you're playing, I'm sharing it with my friends is something that can't be replicated. I mean, I have amazing friends that, you know, over the years I've, I just, I love dearly, but I, I don't go to jam band shows with, when I those those friends that I do bring to a jam band show and we experience that together, that's something that you can't talk about. You can't express it. That feeling is just it's different. And, you know, connecting, you know, you and I connecting that way as a, as a listener and a guitar player. It's beautiful. And, and as much as we can sit here on a podcast and talk, you can, that's what we we crave is those It's just something about music, that connection.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I'm so grateful that that outlet exists, you know, because it's such a specific mode of communication that we all feel so much. It's like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's really beautiful. And I mean, that's the reason that I've made this, you know, music my life, you know, is, is that feeling that you just described. And it's such a, a really cool thing that, you know, we all get to share, you know, obviously right now that's a little bit strained with the circumstances of the world, but, uh, you know, trying to find these opportunities to get to experience that again is what it's all about.
0: And so this little section here is about seven minutes to 10 and a half minutes. And this is another different kind of jam. It's a little bit more floaty is the word I would use. It's a little more psychedelic, as you talked about some of your playings, Ben. And I just love it. And I love where it takes place in the set, like deep into the middle, like we've we've way far away from the first song we're still a little away from the set closer. Like this is the time where you really explore. I, I love that. This is where this takes place. And your tone at nine ten is like a, a, a little mark that I had. And maybe if, if you know what I'm talking about, you can talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. I, uh, it, it's really interesting because you know, the tone that I use there, it's, uh, you know, a combination of some of the overdrive pedals I have. Um, there's something to be said about like a guitar player's hands. Um, and I wanted to touch on this because I, up until this point in this set, I've actually used this combination of pedals a couple different times. Like that's kind of the, the combination I use just when I do solos and stuff. But when like, when you have like a specific emotion like that come out, there's like, o- like there's like all these little subtle like overtones and harmonics that start emerging from your fingertips. And it's like, this is the secret that, like, they don't teach you that you can't actually replicate, like, by buying your favorite guitar player's gear. You know, like, I could go and some, someone could, I could buy a, you know, $10,000 Languedoc guitar and buy two Tube Screamers and a Mesa Boogie amp, and I wouldn't sound like Trey because Trey has it in his hands, right? And I think like this particular moment, this tone you're hearing is actually more of an expression of my fingertips. Like I can hear some of these harmonics coming out by the way I'm picking with my right hand and the way I'm fretting with my left hand. And it's, I'm kind of like laying into it in a different way than I had previously in the set, even though it's the same combination of pedals that I've used previously. And I think that it's a really interesting point that a lot of guitar players don't Think about when they're, you know, or, or no one really talks a lot about when you're, when you're growing as a player. And I, and it's a really important point is like just some of this, some of the way a guy sounds is just truly his humanity, you know, or his or her humanity. And, uh, and I think like, that's kind of mostly what's coming out there because again, like for example, the strange time solo that we talked about, mm-hmm. um, where I was kind of just ripping and stuff, it's those same pedals. Um, okay. but you know, but just this, but this has a totally different feel. And it's just more of my touch that's happening that you're hearing,
0: so what you're saying there kind of reminds me of like I work in the food industry, and sometimes a chef will give me a recipe that he's he's worked, and I'll go home and make it, and it tastes absolutely nothing like when the chef makes it, and it's the same ingredients and cook the same way
1: exactly like that's <laughs> this exact same notion you know and and I remember I, I i think I've actually i can't remember if you and I have spoken about this before or not on like one of the previous podcasts, but I remember like having this moment of realization where you know, this, this concept where you, you don't, you know, no matter what you do, like to get as close to somebody's thing, it's like, there's still that personal touch. Cause I, I used all of Chuck Garvey from Mo. I used his whole rig once and I just didn't sound a damn thing like Chuck, you know, like I literally used his guitar, his pedals, his amp, like everything. And I just didn't sound like Chuck. And I, and I, I kind of thought that was cool actually. Like it's, I, I yes. like that it's, it's in the hands and it's like, as a chef, it's in, the, you know, I mean, it's like, there's just so much about the part of you that you bring into these things that makes it the way that it is.
0: And so we'll play the clip here of uh, seven minutes to about 10 and a half of Complex 2. And the last song in the set is Realize Your Light. And it's mostly a standard run through, but I do really like the placement here as a set closer. And it's a really good reflection song for me. I like to kind of just think about things as it goes on. So your thoughts on uh, the set closer here?
1: Yeah, I think uh, just sort of the vibe and the pulse and the message of that song is actually pretty uplifting. And it was, it was one that Dave wrote, you know, during the Color Wheel writing sessions. And um, I've always been... I I think, I think a lot of people find that feeling in it. You know, I think that they hear it and they hear the lyrics and there, there's just such an optimism about it. And I think we're at a point right now in the world where I think everybody could use a little bit of that reminder (laughs) that things will be all right. And that, you know, and that you can be anything still. And, and I think that just kind of, I think after where we had landed throughout the set again, with no, with no set list, you know, we had come to a full stop and, we had we could we had a moment to decide what would be best, and that just felt re- very right. It felt like the right kind of note to leave off, you know, kind of wrap the setup on, and and also musically, the ending is is really like a, a nice big peak. You know, it's got like a real big mm-hmm. pinnacle, and for me on the guitar, I always like really love that last final moment of that song, and it's really like again just very uplifting, and so that just kind of felt exactly like the right thing to to kind of cap the set with.
0: It was a great set, a lot of different styles of aqueous jamming, and it all worked. I think your no set list really was was awesome here. It really real, yielded some great results. So the Encore is another oldie. What's the connection? Long been uh, a great aqueous tune. Always seems to yield some great jams. This one's a little bit more... Would you say this is double time? Or? Yeah, so
1: exactly. Because um, I was going to I was gonna make that point and then you just did is that, uh, you know, when we go to like change the feel of a song, you know, or like this is this one that was, you know, more from the other leaning where it, Rob just one day started playing something different. Like, oh, like, let's try that instead. And exactly. Rob plays a double time beat instead of a half time beat. And it gives it kind of more of like a, I don't I don't know exactly the right way to to describe it musically. It's almost it, it almost has like a like a countryish undertone, you know, you kind of have yeah. like a rootsy kind of like Americana feel. And uh and that's kind of fun for this one because it it makes it just like a little bit more upbeat and I think uh you know back when we had originally written the song, you know, we had Nick Sonricker in the band on drums and we would most of the time default to like a lot of halftime feel, like a lot of the just real mm-hmm. fat grooves and stuff. But, you know, sometimes it's it's nice to touch on on something more in this vein and Rob's real good at that style actually and he kind of brought that into it and we, we liked it and so we, we've we been kind of running with it and and it, it kind of that feel yields a different type of jamming for us too and uh, I, I I it's cool because in this song there's kind of a couple different places that you could improvise um, and in, in this if memory serves you know we we, I, we jammed in the section where you know there's like these kind of chordal breaks after the the two verses And, uh, normally like we don't, we don't linger on that. And we go, we go right to this, uh, this this Mm -hmm. guitar line that I do. But, um, in this circumstance, we didn't, we like broke, you know, down to like a kind of a funky groove thing. And that ended up being like a really fun kind of like fish esque jam.
0: Yes. And that's what I thought. So I kind of tweeted this and talked about it is, so we kind of take it bridges from that. It's kind of like a swing jam to start for me. This, um, yeah. That's kind of how it feels to me. And actually, like if we're, we're kind of talking like the song kind of feels a little bit more like like maybe back on the train to me a little bit now.
1: Yeah, it kind of um, has that like undertone, like that. pulse yeah. of the drums is similar.
0: So there'll be a million fish references in this five part podcast, because <laughs> obviously that's like where my whole life has been centered around other than you guys. So um, but that's kind of what I get a feel there. And then it kind of for me, it sounds just like a chalk dust torture jam. This yeah. like ripping kind of blissful and only the good chalk dust tortures get this good, by the way. <laughs> so <laughs> which is just a compliment for you for sure. Um, so I don't know if you heard that maybe on your listen or.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember specifically in the moment, like if you know, you were to look at the actually, I guess we haven't released the video, but we have the video. If you were to look at it, like you see us all smiling because I like I was like specifically channeling Trey. You know what I mean? Like I like <laughs> we 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 all realized that we had arrived at that kind of feel, you know, like more of a fish thing. And we're like, we're, like, we're just like, fuck it. Like, let's just roll with that. And I started yeah. playing some of the riffs, like, you know, that, like, you know, kind of more Trey-esque licks and, and a Trey-esque approach. And it was really fun, you know, because I, I love, you know, of course, love the way he plays. And, you know, having been more and more influenced this summer by their music again, as I was in my youth, it's been kind of fun. You know, like I've I mostly just sprinkled in that influence, but every once in a while, you just, just fucking... Just pay direct tribute to your to your yeah. heroes, and that was kind of one of those moments. And you know, and and I feel like there's the one thing that I wanted to touch on, and we'll touch on this more as we go through some of the other shows because it's even more present in some of the others. But there there's been a levity that's been happening amongst the band during the, these sets that hasn't been there in in such a direct way in some of the previous recent years, and it's been awesome because. So much of our ethos in the beginning was about, like, just not ever taking ourselves too seriously and being, like, real silly and just not giving too much of a shit. You know, I mean, I I think the whole idea is we, like, care a lot about being good musicians but don't take ourselves seriously as people. And I think, like, we've been really getting back into that and, like, getting sillier and sillier. And actually, there was a moment that I I meant to talk about earlier that um, from when we were playing their calling for you. Like, sometimes we'll just do shit that we know will make someone in the band laugh, you know? like even mm-hmm. with, you know, musically and like in during during their calling for you during like the most inappropriate moment, like Dave was still singing. And I just like played Franklin's Tower for two seconds, like over his vocal, just as like a kind of like a mini like, fuck you, like as a joke, you know, and he literally like laughs and says, Jesus Christ into the microphone, like, and then I'm like laughing too I, much to like, sing the next lyric. And like, that that to me, like, so so that like that was one of the moments in the set and then here like where I'm just like okay like let's just like we'll just play fish like cuz that's what we would do at band practice like that's like what we would do in the basement and like we would just be silly and have fun and stuff and I think for a while we got kind of caught up like okay like we're this is we're a, a band and like we you know we'll be you know have this real serious presentation and like come in with this big crazy show and all this but like we've been really getting back to just being silly and I and I love that energy in a set because you know like that's a big part of who we are as humans as people as mm-hmm. friends and uh it's been awesome to touch on that again as as a band you know
0: and i and i love that too it's definitely a huge part of who you guys are and we love that as fans i mean it's it's an experience and every show is different and you know the 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 hilarious and weird stuff like that is sometimes some of the stuff you'll remember 20 years later not the the notes you'll remember oh, you remember when when dave yelled jesus christ in the mic <laughs> like that stuff is and you know it's great and we love that i heard that by the way in the in the recording and uh or him yell at once and i went that's funny that you brought that up that's really cool yeah so um it's great so we're gonna play kind of the swinging jam to start and then kind of this chalk dust torture jam so it's about six and a half minutes to ten and a half minutes and then we'll just finish up here So that's day one of the transit drive in shows in the books. 12 songs totaled. That's that's pretty okay by me. <laughs> so, any final thoughts, Mike, um, before we kind of wrap up episode one here?
1: No, I know I'm just uh, I'm excited to keep going through these shows with you, man. Thank you for doing this.
0: You're welcome. Um, so this is uh, we got four more episodes. So. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, hit me up either Lawn Memo or All In With AQ if you have any questions that you want. I've had some people chime in with some really great questions that we're going to touch on as we go through. We have an insane show to cover on day two with a one song second set that was a peak experience for me as an Aqueous fan. I'm super stoked to get into. So thanks, Mike. It's been great. You're an amazing co-pilot and you did an amazing job. And I'm really looking forward to the next four.
1: Thanks, buddy. Right back at you hey there this is mike ganser of aqueous letting you know all in with aqueous is part of the osiris network osiris connects you with podcasts videos and live experiences about the artists and topics you love visit osirispod.com to check out our shows Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans with the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Check them out at jambase.com.